Hello, and welcome to an Overthinker's Point of View, Episode 5, An Introduction to My Political Interest and Background, as well as some touchings into uh, yellow journalism, which will be hopefully the next topic of my next history podcast. Today in sports, quickly is the start of the UEFA Champions League and my team Chelsea FC get to play at noon against Sevilla of La Liga and that should be a good game and I am looking forward to it when it comes on at noon Western time, Pacific time. Now before jumping into today's topic and Due to the climate of our country at the moment and has been for a little while, I know politics is a very touchy and certainly right now an extreme thing to talk about. What I mean by that is people are now stuck in the fervor and the madness created by just the finger pointing and you're forever going to be clumped with one group or another and never in between. You have one idea that belongs to one group, you are put in that group. And from a scene and a nice analogy, in my opinion, from a movie I recently saw for the first time during my Halloween movie marathon with my lady, Donnie Darko. Yes, it is 2020 and I have just seen Donnie Darko for the first time, but that is the beauty of doing things like a Halloween movie marathon. Um, And I enjoyed it. And definitely the scene where the teacher is trying to lump most things into two categories of fear and love and ask Donnie to come up and place a scenario in either the two categories. But Donnie stops her and says how BS it is because people, ideas, feelings, thoughts are way more complex than two categories to be lumped into. You could be feeling something more than fear and love, although it is tried to be broken down into that everything is, in a sense, either fear or love, as hate is a sign of fear and compassion is a sign of love, things like that. Um, People are still more complex. You know, we can't simply just be lumped into two categories. And that is where I feel about our political system in this country. Having just the choice between the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, even though there are third party options out there, the country has been set up and the political system has been set up to where they have almost no legitimate shot when it comes to a presidency. I have definitely always had a problem with the two-party system. I find it, one, going against what George Washington wanted. He never wanted it to be a two-party system. He definitely wanted it to be more open, have more competition. Um, So that is definitely one of those quotes I'm sure you've heard many times that this is not what Washington wanted Um, and I you know that's true and I believe it it's and it shows how corrupt it can get Um, you know there have been many corrupt presidents throughout the history and that is the way it is 
Um, and you can lump it from modern presidents to pre-modern presidents, uh, starting probably with Woodrow Wilson or even Theodore Roosevelt, depending, depending on how far back you want to stop the line at modern. Um, and yes, there have been many uh, corrupt presidents in the prior modern presidencies, um, you know, one famously for sure that's known is of Ulysses S. Grant. He was a, you know, a pretty decent guy as a president, but it was his cabinet um, who were doing a bunch of shady activities that really messed up his presidency. And fun fact, I believe I am somewhat of a relative of Ulysses S. Grant based on my family tree but not in a direct lineage, more of a great, 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 great step-uncle or uncle of some sort. Not much credit there, but I will take it <laughs> as close as I can take it. Uh, back on topic, it's it's complicated to have a two-party system, and definitely now where if you, you know, as our current president has done a good job at doing or it's just been the build-up from years of a lot of people being, you know, trying to keep to themselves with it, but now they have a president who's open with it as well, that can open up. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, if you're called Democrat, if you just have any kind of ideas on the left, you are called weak, you are called... Um, a sheep, you know, and it's the same thing that's going to be called for the people on the right. You're called sheep, you're called hicks, hillbilly, rednecks, um, racist, um, you know, Nazis, Confederates, you name it. Um, but there are also people on the right who, with enough of their news sources and I guess stuff that in a sense makes sense to them, can call that to left, you know, communists, fascists, I guess, which doesn't really work out there. Um, and anarchists, which that is, you know, pretty left on the spectrum of politics. I mean, it's just, right now, it's just, it's tough. There's a lot of hate in the air, and uh, mainstream media does, in fact, do that. And if you've ever seen those clips, you know, mainstream media is pretty much recorded. Even local news can be at times, depending on, you know, the bigger stories. You can find that almost all of them are reading the same teleprompter. They're all being told to do the same stories, Right from their narratives that they're told. And it gets tough because they do only look at certain things and you have to look at the biases of the owners of the companies, right? Like um, Murdoch owns Fox and I believe a few other news sources and newspapers and such. Um, so you got to know that obviously he is a big conservative and definitely someone who has an ear or lends an ear to the president right now. Um, so you got to know whatever his sources are and know that. And the same can be said for all the ones who people call on the left, like CNN, ABC, NBC, you know, all the other major news outlets here in America. You know, their owner could have his own interest, as most of the billionaires and owners of the major companies do. Um, so there are a lot of similarities in the political parties because almost going off topic but not as much i also deeply believe that behind everyone and everything it's the lobbyists who are really behind everything happening the politicians 
are getting money in their pocket, you know, contributions or whatever uh, from these lobbyists who are then going to push these politicians to push for their, you know, companies. Like, why else would oil always be, or coal always be seen as a um, surviving fuel source when the world is definitely trying to move to more reliable and reusable sources that aren't going to hurt the climate? It's because the lobbyists and those businesses are unimaginably wealthy. And if you're a politician and you're going to get a little bit more wealthy with a nice little, you know, extra cash in your pocket, you're going to vote for it and not care what the people really think until you voted out. Um, there's a famous picture from literally, again, the Gilded Age. Um, that can Once I set up a website and can put all these really cool political cartoons and pictures up, or you can just look it up, you know, look up lobbyists and Congress um, Gilded Age, and it's a picture of a lot of the lobbyists, you know, the richest people like Carnegie and Rockefeller, uh, depicted as big money bags sitting on top of the congressional session and the politicians are kind of with their hands waiting to get some cash for whatever wants to be pushed. And a hundred years later, it's essentially the same thing, just not in the limelight. You know, there are a lot of Democrats who are definitely um, doing it behind their back too. You know, I feel like Biden definitely is someone who the lobbyists are paying for no oil. He definitely doesn't try to say we're going to end it. He definitely is going to try to find a different solution for it, you know? So there's no difference in taking away a lot of these changes that need to happen. And, um, politics tough. So, yeah, you know, I believe for sure it's lobbyists behind everyone. But I do believe also that our current administration right now with Trump is uh, bringing out a lot of hidden light that has definitely been here throughout our country's history. I tend to think about when Nixon had his speech during around the Vietnam crisis and uh, the beginning of the war on drugs and that era, he dubbed, you know, the silent majority as the... Americans, like the older Americans at his time, but those of predominantly like the white suburban America who were annoyed by the young American soldiers trying not to go to war, even though the cause for it was just outrageous. Another one, cleaning up France's mess there because it was a French colony. And two, the whole world idea of trying to limit and contain communism and just, you know, capitalism versus communism, West versus East. An age-old battle that just keeps going and going. Um, just keeps going. And um, I'm getting off track. Wow. Boom, boom. Okay, sorry about that. And, yeah, you know, back when Nixon said the silent majority, I find that now to be the, you know... I don't even want to call them proud, but definitely, like, the loud majority. So, same group, you know, instead of it being, like, okay, during, you know, 70s, 60s, late-ish, 80s, um, not 80s so much, but during the, quote-unquote, um, cultural progressive or social progressive era of this time, um, the counterculture and all that, we see it being more liberal, and things like that. And then once it became the 80s of Reagan and even into the 90s a little bit before um, Clinton, it was 
conservative. And um, Reagan obviously had his new type of republicanism. And uh, that's the kind of republicanism that exists today. It's the one that Reagan created. And it's not the best. It obviously... Um, trickle-down economics was a disaster, and Trump's pretty much doing the same thing. It's the same thing. We're going to see a big, uh, well, the gap's already huge, but we're going to keep seeing it grow, and, you know, that's where we're at, and that's where I feel we're at, um, but yeah, our climate today, I'm sure there's a lot of Republicans out there. I have family who are, well, few who are definitely still Republican with their ideals and they will not let themselves be clumped in with the rest who are the loud and proud like fly the Trump flag as if it's a new American flag fly the blue lives flag like it's a new American flag dangerous symbols in, in a sense like the Confederate and the Nazi symbol in my opinion and you know there are people who fly and I've seen the Biden Harris flag which I find also very weird and i've seen you know there are black lives matters flags and again to me that is not some counter like dangerous movement that is a statement that this country has never really equally seen black lives as equal and the facts are there written from when we first started as a country and it and another counter tangent like People will always say, well, the world has always had slavery. Why is America always, you know, tortured and tormented on it? Well, we don't accept our past. And that is why. We don't accept it. And it has to be accepted. There's no one saying, like, you know, the rest of the world is, hand, like, you know, free of it. Brazil was the last country in the world to end that type of slavery. There's still slavery today. Um, but it's obviously not talked about as much. And it's not happening in America in the lights, definitely in the underworld, and it's dangerous and it's scary. Um, but people do their best to just try to discredit that past. And, you know, a lot of people who I feel like are on the right try to just not like to hear America be talked about negatively. We have this American exceptionalism ideal that we are the best. And, you know, you can have pride in your country. You can be you know, like patriotic in that sense, but it's dangerous when you shift to nationalistic, where you think and say your country is better than everyone else and your your certain type of American people are better than every other person, you know? Um, And we've been taught to think that our whole lives, at least the last few generations, um, especially after World War II, kind of romanticizing the war and keeping it seen as what it is today. You know, we are in a post-World War II world still. Um, and post Cold World era, Cold War era, and it's it's still there. Um, you know, even though it happened decades ago, it doesn't mean it's long-lasting effects are not being felt because many of the people alive today and who are in power were around then. Um, yes, I feel like my tangent right now is still political in a sense, even though it's going towards jumping the past and this and that. Um, that's okay, and I apologize. Um, but back to, again, as you can probably guess by now, yes, um, I have had a past of being Democratic. And, you know, I just find myself now not more just a label of Democratic, but progressive. Like, if a party has actual progressive ideals and ways that, you know, people should have rights to own protection and guns especially those who like live in places where they don't have a lot of neighbors nearby or people are nearby or the police aren't going to get to them for like a long time if 
something were to happen, you need protection. Pistols are great. A rifle is great. A shotgun's great. My grandpa had a shotgun. But, you know, there is an excess. You don't need to play military as a civilian um, and have some extreme assault rifle. And we've seen with uh, someone who many people dub a hero, and I don't want to even say his name, who illegally had an assault rifle. It's like, (laughs) it's crazy, man. Other countries who even have, like, gun laws that are open carry and stuff, they don't have as much violence because they're so much better with it. Like, let background checks happen. Let it be more strict. If you can get it still, why should you worry? It doesn't matter if it takes a little bit longer. Your trip, your shooting range trip, all that, you'll still have your gun. You still take care of it and you know all the rules, and that's fine. So why care if more background checks happen to stop others who don't deserve it? Yes, the black market still happens and people just get guns on the street, and that is a problem will always be a problem it's almost impossible to stop but still gotta try at least for others like say those with mental health who aren't gonna try to buy a black market but are gonna like try to buy a gun out of nowhere and they have a history of it right you don't want that to happen um and you know i believe you know you should not every gun should be taken away but certain limits on types of weapons and that's about that because protecting yourself in this world is important 100 percent. but i also believe you know like screw the oil company like climate change is real like we need renewable sources fast leaving the paris agreement for what it's worth like you know there's got to be a better compromise um because we can't just keep letting the big oil companies and stuff do what they're doing there's been so many mistakes and spills happening and it's like destroying the environment the ocean we are going to live in such a difficult place like it's going to be all those like um dystopian type stories and movies and the wealthy are going to be fine because they can afford to escape to whatever secret escape they are actually probably building now we don't even know it's the rest of us who are going to be the ones fighting each other like again with my last podcast right divide and conquer from those above um and to keep going to um to finish this political random mumble jumbo um or at least get towards the end i'm not trying to make this last longer than 25 minutes for you guys and i appreciate you again for checking it out and listening however it sounds um i am getting better at at least you know uh the looks of the podcast like if you're gonna look for it it is on spotify now which i think is pretty cool um you know if you just type in the uh, abbreviation po or you know otpov it should pop up um it's a lot faster than just typing an overthinker's point of view every time and i will like as i said get and make a weebly good old weebly because um as a you know history teacher and coming up in the uh, program and uh the degree whatever you want to call it uh we had to do history day which is something i would love to talk about next history podcast and i'll write that down um something everyone should do if you're into history in your local area um uh, you know tangents happen and i already forgot why i brought up history day but uh essentially i'll be talking about you know some more history stuff next episode uh but i just wanted to end this one more talking about what i want our country to be like politically and 
you know, what news sources I do kind of like to watch and look at and look, you know, where I do get my bias from. I do try to check out some conservative um, news sources too. I do not go for the extreme ones, although I, you know, should check them out every now and again just to know what is being talked about because you don't want to be ignorant to what the other side is discussing. It could be important to just prepare for something inevitable or dangerous or unprecedented. You never know. So you got to always check all the different sides. Uh, but for my bias and my sources, you know, I like The Guardian. I like BBC. Um, Daily News can sometimes be pretty good. Um, and, you know, I don't really trust things like New York Times. And uh, NPR can be good, too. There are times that they do post some really interesting, not strong and opinionated posts. Um pretty much those and i like john oliver i like a lot of those news um announced sitcom guys because they do hit really good points they hit the facts and they have sources and they just explain really well john oliver is definitely the guy um i also want to say you know this is considered a capitalist country but not everyone in this country is a capitalist capitalists are those who invest in capital or own capital um invest and own stocks and you know i am pretty much against the system for how the country is It's definitely a for-profit system when you look at the rest of the world and uh to many it is fine because they have found a way to join in on it and get that profit that's why a lot of people get rich in the merchant um the merchant careers it has been that way throughout history the merchants are the wealthiest those who buy and sell at a higher rate are always the wealthiest throughout history and that will continue um but you know for our country uh we are capitalists but not everyone in it is a capitalist if you try the robin hood app which is a free stock app you you know you'll get a free stock when you sign up um, you know, it's one of those, like, just pick one through three and you'll get one. My first one was a Ford stock, which was priced at seven fifty six a stock or share. Um, but I sold it. And, you know, I only put about $50 in um, originally and just kept putting in uh, to different cheaper stocks for bigger companies and got lucky. And right now I'm at about, you know, I don't mind sharing, just 120 So it doubled my uh, input. And it's just like you know betting in a sense and holding in waiting and kind of reading the market and figuring out which stocks are going to go up or down um you know there was a time when trump did kind of slip out that kodak was going to be doing something big kodak stocks were cheap and i bought a few uh like a dollar 30 stock or two dollars or something a stock and the next morning it jumped to about 26 dollars a stock but then dived down a few days after and that's one of those quick moments that you could, if you find those little hints, make a lot of money on it. But you got to be careful because obviously, if, you know, if you didn't, if you don't sell it or you feel like it's going to keep going up and it dives like that, like you lost money. Um, I got lucky with Hertz. Hertz had a big up. Um, I had some decent shares with them because they were cheap. And then they bumped up about six, seven dollars a share. Not even that. They bumped up a whole dollar and fifty or something a share. But it was still pretty good for how many shares I had. And right now I'm holding on to some Dave and Buster shares because they're going up. Uh, because they're starting to figure stuff out and open up soon. 
airlines are going up and it's one of those things you just gotta watch um and keep your eye out but that is an example of us being capitalist we are a capitalist country for sure everything is about profit and money and business but not everyone in this country is a capitalist I believe that a better way to have our country politically would be that of, um, you know, Britain or other European nations. And what I mean by that is the way they run their political system would be, you know, the people vote and whichever of the numerous political parties, whether it's the Tories or, you know, such, oh, excuse me, um, Whichever party has the majority of the votes, they pretty much own the cabinet. You know, they own um, the parliament. And then they get to pick who the prime minister is after the party itself had won the election. Not, you know, running with a person from the get-go, but the party itself and the party's platform being the main thing you vote for. And then they pick someone themselves. There are times where two parties might form a coalition and then there will be a coalition government. So two parties and their, um, what they want to do and establish, you know, they'll work together and compromise because, you know, they put their percentage together to be the majority, but it doesn't always happen. And I just find that to be fair. Um, obviously we do have the electoral college, which will never be, um, easily explained or just understood why we still have it other than for those in power to still always choose who will be in power um and this goes back again to uh, a book i'm reading about a president the american lion of andrew jackson um he was the first popular you know of the people president to win and it was around this time even a little before the electoral college came about because you know, it was dangerous to let the population pick who would become the president. They wanted to make sure those, um, you know, the electoral college is mixed up of like, I believe congressmen, senators, other like top level people in Washington who then decide once uh, candidates go to them and pretty much try to beg for their vote. And it would just be a lot easier and fair if our country did that. Um, a two-party system, as long as we have that, there will always be, you know, the divide and conquer and division. And a lot of times, if you notice throughout the history, like, the parties will always go based on what the other party was doing and then say it didn't work. Or, like, as we've seen in the second term of Obama, um, where when there, you know, is a, say, a Democratic president, but Republican Senate and House and what have you, um, nothing can get done because the senate and house will never let anything pass and then it gets put on the blame of the president for not doing anything um and it's just one of those things um where again you know yes it's the same in britain at least you know whatever party is voted with the highest percentage they do own the parliament and everything but here it seems like in my opinion the Republican Party itself has been doing everything it can to just hold on to power for longer. Um, always crying foul after doing the same thing and just never giving any crap uh, because their base is the same, you know, matter. Like, we don't give a crap. 
we'll just do it because what else are you going to do except kind of cry a few days and you know i admit that's our country doesn't really do anything when it comes to being actually upset you know we'll march we'll do things we'll keep it peaceful and it's just good um you know i promote the peace and nonviolence in that sense but as we see a lot of times nothing really changes they just you know in my opinion the right will think like okay they'll just do this for a little bit and then it'll be forgotten about because everyone kind of has shorter attention spans today um not gonna even be seen and heard in my ramblings and getting off topic and then forgetting literally about some things i was gonna mention um and you know if we were like france like they when they go to the streets boy do they get stuff done and that is a part of their history um but the french government will listen to them you know there's no fear maybe that the french government will shoot on them or attack them or hurt them or things like that like we're seeing in this country whether that's the story pushed by the media or not um evidence is being shared by the people who are there themselves um with their pictures and injuries and um you know records and whatever else they have like it's their um people to people being seen um so with that and my arms being too much I am going to finish up and wrap up this episode. I feel that um, our upcoming town hall is going to be interesting. I'm probably going to talk after that. Politics, sports, we have, like I said before, the Champions League is on right now, happening today. It's the first day of the World Series. I also want to jinx anything, but, you know, obviously I am going for Tampa Bay. Hoping for the best with them. And next history podcast will definitely be with um, yellow journalism and uh, just looking at biases in newspapers and news sources and just how to spot it, um, as well as a history lesson on the uh, Spanish American War. Which, you know, if you're going to learn about or hear about yellow journalism, it has to be in the context of the Spanish-American War. If that's one you remember from school, great. Um, If you don't really remember the details of it, that's fine. That is what I'm here for, and I look forward to doing that. Again, my favorite era was American imperialism, and this is the birth of that era. Um, So I definitely will have a lot to say. And again, once I figure out my Weebly website, which now (laughs) you were wondering why I even brought up History Day minutes ago and then didn't say anything else because I forgot, again, a short attention span. I am used to making Weeblies because for History Day, we would have to make Weeblies or help our students make Weeblies. And Weebly is essentially... um, a, you know a site where you can create your own website it is pretty easy to do once you figure it out uh, i think it's pretty cheap i always got to do it for free um you know through the school of course um but i don't think it's too expensive and um i'll be doing that for this podcast because it has ways to split up maybe you know the way my podcasts are set up um, from politics sports and history i also realize i am only kind of able to of my podcast a history podcast where i know for those who are looking for history related topics who are here but seem to see episodes of sports and politics uh, i apologize and i hope that isn't an issue for you um I, i can't seem to figure out how to do multiple topics of the podcast and if i am forced to do one topic per podcast and i have to create two other podcasts 
they will just be an overthinker's point of view, but a subtitle of my different topics. Um, so again, you know, I appreciate all of you and my listeners who maybe have heard all the episodes so far. You know, thank you for those who are finding this. Thank you for my friends who are somehow finding this, you know, enjoy my voice being recorded as always. And I appreciate you for checking it out. This is something I look forward to keep on doing for a long time. This is the start. And another thing I will be doing at the end of my history-related and political-related episodes, um, I will be referring a book that is of historical um, relevance and or just an interesting read. I love reading, you know, historical fiction or just history books, um, even though it was my major and I had to read up to 100-something books alone in undergrad, um, which is not enough, (laughs) really, when you think about it. Um, There are so many I came across that are great. One I will recommend first is more on... It's going to be more on uh, Europe, in a sense. And the book title is called The United States of Europe by T.R. Reed. Um, The subtitle of it is The New Superpower and the End of American Supremacy. And now when you think, wait a minute, hold on. Why are you going to have us read a book that is essentially, you know, the end of American supremacy? What? Well, hold on now. This book, when I first found it... Oh, my slurring. This book, when I first found it, um, you know, I was really curious to what it was going to be about. Um, but it's essentially about post-World War II. Europe is not entirely alone uh, with dealing with the rebuild. Um, you know, as we are taught and learn, America is there to provide aid through the Marshall Plan. And, you know, that's where we see our uh, economy just blow up in the 50s. And we have like an economic just boom. And then the boomer period and all that. But in Europe... This book discusses how the Europeans themselves were leading up to creating the, um, the, oh, I can't even think, the EU, the European Union. So this book essentially brings up um, the formation of the European Union. It brings up and talks about all the different um, commissions that were created as well to protect the interests of Europeans as well as their health. Um, This is an example of, say, how here in America, we pretty much let almost any product go by uh, without really, like, checking on it or knowing if it's dangerous chemicals or something that's going to give us cancer. Um, Whereas in Europe and these commissions, you know, at first, the Americans, when they were selling their businesses and their products over there that had these products, they thought it was going to be fine. But the European commissions um, who were in charge of, you know, checking on it, they were very firm on making sure, like, if you're going to sell anything here in Europe, you have to take out these ingredients because these are not allowed here at all. And this kept up with other areas of industry as well. You know, certain um, prices or taxes or just certain things that were being totally allowed in America to make more profit was being shut down before ever being allowed in Europe. And if you ever get to travel to Europe, you will see... It is definitely more a uniform place to be and more orderly. And it's really cool uh, to be there. Am I a European sympathizer? 
Um, you know, majority of our history is from over there. Um, America is, in a sense, a still a young country. American history is, you know, short but full and amazing. Uh, but, you know, looking at what happens in Europe and just being more global and, like, worldly is important as well. And this book um, is a great book just because when it says the end of American supremacy, it's, like, at the end of, like, that economic supremacy of just, you know, whatever we say is going to be it. And it kind of shows the trend of how the American dollar is losing value to, say, you know, the euro or now even um, the yen or... Um, whatever the monetary is in China that I am unaware of at the moment. Uh, but it's a great book, so I recommend it. The United States of Europe. Okay, and with that, I rambled on definitely 10 minutes past what I hope to. Um, thank you again. Let's dive in next time. This is an overthinker overthinking. And thank you.